Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Here's the center to short and Farmington scores! There it is, finally the Ottawa Senators get on the board. All right, that clip courtesy of our friends at Sportsnet, Alex Formanson opening up the scoring. And the Sens win 4-1 right in Washington. And here's what's trending in Sens Nation today with a very tight, difficult schedule. The Sens lose 2-0 at home to both Pittsburgh and Boston, and they win 4-1 at Washington. Costly win, though. Thomas Shabbat and Alex Formanson both dinged up. We'll give you updates. Austin Watson gets a two-game suspension in that Bruin game. COVID ended the World Juniors for Jake Sanderson. COVID delayed his Olympics, and now an injury may have ended his Olympics. Some other NHL news going on. Habs trading Tyler Toffoli, acquiring the Hamburglar. Jack Eichel debuting on Wednesday. So much to get to here on the show today. Thank you for being with us. We hope you enjoy things. It is Steve and Greg once again. How are things, Coach? Things are good, Stephen. I, I, I found a job. Congratulations. Well, what thank, is it? Thank you very much. Well, I, I, I can't officially announce because I have to I had to apply appeal for reinstatement from Hockey Canada because apparently right. I spent I spent a year with the outlaw greater Metro Hockey League, the G show. So because of that, I have to apply to Hockey Canada for reinstatement. And believe it or not, they don't allow coaches in midseason to come back. I told okay. me that I have to wait till the start of next season. If you're a player, you can do this. But if you're a coach, if you're bench staff, you can't. So I found that a little strange. But uh, HEO is going to appeal on my behalf to Hockey Canada. And uh, it should be a rubber stamp come uh, come this week. And I, I should be back and I can officially announce something later. That's good. Uh, it's, a good it's a hockey job. That's fantastic. And uh, have you, can you offer any possible explanations for why a player can make this move and a coach cannot? I believe it has something to do with, uh, well, from what I can understand, um, you know, all rules are made for a reason because somebody's pissed off about something, right? So many people get an uproar about something, so they make a rule. And then eventually mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wait a minute, we, we should have thought this through. Uh, I believe it's because guys were doing non-sanctioned, like your summer AAA stuff. And they were forming their teams and doing things in the middle of a regular hockey season. And that's considered outlaw stuff. And they wanted to clamp down on those people. So it's more of a minor hockey thing, I think, was the reason for it. But when it comes to a junior hockey thing, that's it's it's just not fair. This is my livelihood. <laughs> like I, I require income to to live. So it's yeah. not really fair that I've that I've gotta wait till next season. It's also not fair to a, I'm not saying that I'm the God of coaching, but these guys have made a decision, a a selection, and they believe that I'm the right guy for the job. And now you're telling them, no, you can't have this guy. You've got to take so-and-so or such and such. Like these guys even had to, had to submit a letter saying why I'm the guy and not a, a, uh, a a member in good standing, right? Like I, I I can't be displacing anyone. They didn't fire somebody to take me back on or something. (laughs) The other guys quit. Walked out the door and left them with nothing, and they they chose me. So we'll we'll wait and see. As I said, hopefully I'll know something. What today is Monday? We're recording. I'll know something on Thursday. I think there's certainly some quirky rules. I mean, I think about yeah. Marty Saint Louis taking over as Montreal Canadiens head coach. You can take over an NHL club with fairly, I assume, limited certifications. 
but uh, you know, you can't come out and coach say Bantam AAA in some cases. So that's how it goes, but uh, hopefully it works out and uh, everything's cool. And I'm looking forward to hearing well off yeah. the air for now. And then, uh, and then we'll officially announce probably something in our next episode, but uh, congratulations. Sure. That's enough great. about me. Enough, about, enough about you. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to just fly in the face of that for a second. Cause there's nothing better than the secondhand compliment. People can come at you and say nice things about you. But when someone comes to you and says, this person said this about you, there's just something, something about that. And uh, one of our good listeners, David says on Twitter today, he direct messaged me. It's insane. How well prepared the coach is for the SNP. That's the Sense Nation <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Tell him it's very much appreciated and adds to how professional this podcast is. You don't see this on other shows, and that includes those funded by TSN and Sportsnet. I mean, who notes shift times for uh, like this guy? So uh, anyway, uh, nice compliment out of the gate. That was David? It was David, yes. David, thank you, David. We just to make sure that's not my cousin David or my brother David or my nephew David. I don't have, I don't know any Davids, but thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, let's jump in today. Got lots to get to, and we'll start it out with a nice win for the Senators, as because uh, they've they had three games since we last had an episode, and uh, they closed it out well with a four-one win in Washington. Here's Paul back the other way. Kachuk back on the ice. Pass behind the net. Finds Nick Paul. Back to the point. Drive there from Josh Brown. It's in behind the goaltender. Still loose. They score! And it's the captain, Kachuk, who's got it. 3-1 Ottawa. So that courtesy of Sportsnet's Brady Kachuk smacking home a loose rebound. And uh, that was a nice goal. But it came not that long after... Uh, you had John Carlson trying to make a hit on on Kachuk when he had the puck near the Capitals net, and he caught him with shoulder into the side of the head, and he had to go to the concussion room and uh, check things out. What did you think of that hit, by the way? I didn't think that one was that bad. I mean, there was no, there didn't appear to be any intent there. I mean, really, I- intent is a matter of the heart, or you know, a matter of the brain. You you you. Trying to read intent into somebody's motion on the ice is difficult, but I didn't think there was any intent there. But man, wasn't Brady ticked when you had to when he when they said, "Hey, bud, come on, let's go. We're off to the off to the dark room here, pal." He was ticked, and that was his first shift back. And they'd gone through a a five on three without him. And oh my goodness, when you you got no Batherson, you got no Norris. Uh, Formington had already gone by then. Yeah, now you got no Kachuk. The five on three was not pretty. So it was nice that he came back and then scored a goal from his office basically standing in the blue paint hack whack goal yeah you mentioned the other moments Alex Formanton hit by Garrett Hathaway that one happened along the boards and it was a kind of a rotational blow if you will kind of shoulder to the side of the head and kind of spun Formanton around it reminded me a little bit of that uh that Sidney Crosby hit that started off his parade of concussions when he was taking on the Capitals years ago um Dirty hit should that have been uh, looked at by Dops? Well, I'm thinking that if the if the Austin Watson one was two games, then that one's three. It's it's it was worse than Watson's. I thought anyway. There was there was head contact there. I thought it was avoidable. It's an unsuspecting player. It's the one they want to get rid of. It's especially when when one guy's kind of coming east west, and the the guy hitting him is coming north south sort of. It has a has a bead on the poor guy. I got him in my sights, and I'm going to run this guy over. And it was avoidable against an unsuspecting player and a headshot. It is suspension worthy, especially if the Watson one was worth two. 
My feeling on it is I didn't necessarily see intent. I saw boneheaded boneheadedness because <laughs> uh, I, I think he was basically so puck focused that he just didn't even see Alex Formanton. And to me, mm. I don't, I don't I, that doesn't excuse to me the incident. It's your carelessness that caused injury there. You skated through the side of a guy's head. And I feel like, you know, while I don't see intent, I still think that you can't just let people get away with moronic behavior on the ice, not having any care, um, not looking where you're going. That's how I kind of regarded it. But uh, either way, I agree with you. The Austin Watson suspension, that seemed like a that seemed like an odd one to me from the perspective of okay, they, they didn't like it because it's interference. Like, what is the amount of time that has to elapse before you say, okay, that is interference? Because in reality, as the Bruin defenseman gave that puck away, I've I've seen hits like that many, many, many times. And they decided to call that game interference. And uh and and as far as the headshot goes, that I think was the biggest thing that got him a two-game suspension. That's a five foot eight defenseman for the Bruins. Meanwhile, Austin Watson is six foot four. I'm not sure you can avoid headshots even with a you know in a clean intent behind the actual body check. Yeah, you're right. And that is that is the one thing that's always going to be the first line of defense when it comes to a lot of these headshot calls against players. Is like, well, what do you want me to do? Look at the size of me and the size of him. So I, I like short of not hitting the guy at all. I don't know what the long-term answer is. I thought, yeah, it might have been a little late, okay, but I really didn't think it was going to get a suspension. That I, that I was really shocked that there was a suspension in that. I, I really was. I thought it was bordering. It, it even it was even borderline calling it interference. I thought, but again, there's nothing in the rule book about the time. Uh, Gary Galley had a really nice description while I was watching the game, talking about you in his day. You owned your pass. Like you make that pass and you, you, by you own it, he means there's a couple seconds there where you're a target. Essentially, uh, Austin Watson got two minutes for finishing his check. Really? And then yeah. it turns into a suspension. Do you know if there's anything in the rule book that there is not even discusses like a time frame? Dops mentions it. They say uh, it was beyond the window of when he can be legally checked. It's like, fine, okay, you've got a window. Great to hear. Like, how many seconds is that window? Well, I, I can remember an article uh, Sean McIndoe wrote once uh, for The Athletic discussing the rules. The most, like the strangest, least information one of all is charging. There's no mention of the the number of steps. Everybody always talks about steps. There's nothing about steps. There's nothing about, quote, unquote, leaving your feet, even though it's really leaving the ice. Um, the same thing with the, with the interference. And you know what, when we take a break, I will grab a rule book because there's one here behind me and we'll, we'll have a full fledged answer here later in the show. Yeah. I'll be surprised if you find an actual unit of time, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is it a, is it a second? Is it more? Is it less? I don't even know. (laughs) But the, uh, the one that everybody's worried about mostly is the hit that Thomas Shabbat absorbed from one Tom Wilson and I don't have any problem with that Tom Wilson hit. This is a size difference. Tom Wilson is a big boy, as we all know. And that was a clean hit. And he just does damage. You know, it seems like one out of every four big hits he throws, someone's uh, getting dinged up. And it looks like right now, Thomas Shabbat is not going to be available Tuesday night as the St. Louis Blues take on the Sens. 
And that's unfortunate because this is already a team that is without a ton of skill from the old injury department. Well, yeah. I, I And the, the biggest thing that you said in there was you thought it was a clean hit. It was a clean hit. He just got him right in the middle of the sternum, shoulder yeah. to middle of chest, the way you teach it. So it leaves me to wonder, like I thought, okay, he got winded. And it certainly looked like it at the time that he got winded. So what is the actual injury right now? It, it, like, is it cracked ribs? Is it bruised ribs? It's Is it some sort of a chest muscle thing that got stretched in there? I, I don't know. I mean, if I was standing on the on the bench in a game coaching and a guy went down like that, I would have said, you know, it's pulled pride or it's, a, you know, a, a, a separated motivator, we'd say, right? It just it didn't seem to be anything that was going to be a real injury. So hopefully it's nothing serious. But I can tell you, bruised ribs is painful. Right. Yeah, no doubt about that. So already without Norris, already without Batherson, already without Pinto, Thomas Shabbat out of the lineup as well. So, boy, the depth in the old skill department is really being tested at the moment. I got to admire Nick Paul for stepping up. I know that some people don't like when fights break out after clean hits, but I also like the camaraderie. I also like guys stepping up for each other. And in the heat of battle, let's be honest, Greg, I mean, we players don't necessarily know because they haven't had a chance to review it or anything like that. They often don't know if it was dirty or not. All they know is that their buddy is down. He's been, somebody's run him over and you do want to protect your skill guys, your $8 million a year guys. So whereas some fans have an issue with it, why do you always have to fight after a big hit? I, I get the concern about that, but sometimes I, I don't have a problem with it. What about you? No, uh, yeah, I agree because it's, uh, like uh, I see both sides of it. Okay. It's like, you can't even hit a guy clean anymore without somebody having to come over and, you know, I'm going to drop your gloves and fight with somebody. Um, but at the same time, it's a sign that your teammates have your back as far as in the room and on the bench goes and amongst your core group or your, your group period. It's a sign that one of the guys has your back. And in this case, two guys had his back. Paul showed up right away and Kachuk wasn't far behind him. They were both there ready to step up on behalf of Thomas Shabbat. Clean hit, no clean hit. It didn't matter. You hit my big stud, and this is what's going to happen. I had no problem with it. And you have to ask yourself the question, okay, so if it's it's all bad and it's a terrible idea, why exactly was Nick Paul wearing the bicycle helmet at the end of the night? And I think everybody appreciates that in the dressing room. Uh, Big country. As Chris Tierney billed him as he gave him the bike helmet. Is that right? I think he got it. Ex- I think he got it. Yeah, I like that name too. I, I think he got it exclusively because he was willing to stand in there against a guy like Tom Wilson. So when you assess the last three games, boy, did the offense dry up. They lose 2-0 at home to both the Penguins and the Bruins, and then they win 4-1 at Washington. When you look at the three games that have uh, that have happened since we last got together, what was your general impression of the performance? Uh, you know, even though they lost those, those two games, 
um, they were flat. There was there was something missing, some sort of spark. I kept waiting for them to to turn it up a notch, to to do something, to to come alive, and it just it just never seemed to happen at both games. Really, they were just flat. There was a malaise, and I actually thought to myself. Yeah, rest is a weapon, all right. It killed their drive. <laughs> the opposite, right? <laughs> like it was like the time off hurt them. Um, but a really good game in Washington, and, and and less than twenty four hours later, after your game, they played twelve thirty two days in a row, right? One at home, one away. Um, it was a really Washington was a good game. Another standard uh, road game, Senator Hockey. I'm going to keep using that one. That's, that was Matt Murray. We slipped that one out in a, in a media veil once, right? Senator Hockey. It was it was evident, and and to a you know to a certain extent, it wasn't the two losses too. It was Senator Hockey, all right. The power play was fizzling. They couldn't score a goal, uh, but they could muck and grind and check a little, right? It was just yeah. It, it was just there was just nobody there to score goals in those two games. Honestly, with the absence of Batherson and Norris, you know, this is more of what I expected where the offense would have these big dry spells and uh, they went through more than six periods without a goal there. And it was nice to see them start to fill the net again in Washington. But I feel like that's more going, unfortunately, with those two guys out, that's more going to be the norm than the exception. Oh, I hope I'm wrong. I just didn't think they had a tremendous offensive push even with those guys. I thought they were, you know, NHL standards somewhere in the average. But with those guys out, I'm, I expected more of these, you know, shutout type games, one goal performances. Um, I expected a lot more than we've actually been seeing. And, and that's all obviously a very good thing. Connor Brown's been a guy that has continued to impress. Right now, he's got 200 points. He is a 200th career point in that game in Washington. So that's a nice little milestone. But I don't, I don't want to alarm anybody. But this guy's on pace for a 63-point season. And for all the, you know, for all the excitement about a guy like Tim Stutzla, and it's justified, um, he's played 13 fewer games than Tim Stutzla, and he has more points than Tim Stutzla. So Connor Brown is a guy that I really do feel, and I'll continue to beat uh, beat the drum on Connor Brown. He is a guy that I think could be in anybody's top six. This is the Steve Warren, <laughs> Connor Brown top six. Uh, weekly or bi-weekly does bi-weekly mean every two weeks or does bi-weekly mean twice a week it means both unfortunately <laughs> yes it does it's confusing but this is the bi-weekly steve warren mini rant to the connor brown belongs in the top six well if he keeps Even playing though- great he's go- he's gonna get a shout out every single episode if he <laughs> okay. continues to be one of their best players in between each and every podcast he's still getting <laughs> gonna get some love for me and he and he's in the news because he got his 200th career point even though we're, we're we're both in agreement that he would be absolutely perfect on the third line. Wouldn't a third line of Shane Pinto between Nick Paul and Connor Brown be something you'd want to watch every week, every night, every second night? That would be phenomenal. And if that was your third line, if the six guys ahead of those three are true top sixes, my God, what a team this is going to be. The, un, the unparalleled success that team's going to have, Steve, it'll be unparalleled. He, I'll, I'll acquiesce to the fact that, you know, he may not get to a point where he's, uh, you know, this he's on pace for 63 points right now, which is a, a top six for the Stanley Cup. Can, whoever you think is going to win the Stanley Cup, they won't have six guys who have 63 points this just in. So my point is, I even if he doesn't get to 63 points, let's say he's a 45 to 50 point guy. Um, I would rather have him there than most. 60 and 65 point guys 
because this just in goal prevention is just as important as goal creation. And I don't know there's many forwards in the league who are better two-way forwards than Connor Brown. So you bring that to the table as well. So I don't mind giving guys like that a little extra ice time, even if they may be on the trailing edge of where you'd expect a second line forward yep. to be scoring at. I agree. I agree. You've got a, you've got a good point. You know what we're going to do? I'm, I'm going to do some internet homework. And for next show, I'm going to go back and look at Senator's second lines over the years and see what kind of players we're talking about and see what kind of point production we're getting on them. You know what? Maybe we should even, I should even write an article, Steve. We could post it on the website with all those fancy writer guys we've got there too. Exactly. SendsNationHockey.com. I'm all about it. That, that sounds fantastic. Although I will say right now it does seem like we're in a, in a spike. The league is, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I have to do this research as well. I'm looking at the NHL scoring leaders and I was mm-hmm. shocked at the number of pointed game guys there are right now. Like it seemed yeah. like we're, I don't know, 10 years removed from, wow, there's only about like three, four guys in the entire league who were a point a game this year. Right now, it seems like, I don't know, I just had a glance the other day. It seemed like there was 20 to 25 guys who were point a game guys around the league. So my point is, if you go through history, it might not necessarily be particularly accurate because the, the league is cyclical. It, it, it goes through these ebbs yeah. and flows. The offense spikes, the offense drops. I think the study may be, checking around the league right now and seeing what other teams have ah. in their top six. Yeah, I hear you. I, I was thinking more along the lines of also, I was going to say, do it more as a comparison of the type of player, the skill set of that player. And and right off the top of my head, like like Alfie played on your second line <laughs> wing for a while here, right? So, you know, the type of player, the, the type of game he brings, the, the, the contributions that he makes, um, the, the just I can't beyond saying type of player. That's what I'm talking about. I I always want somebody else in my top six than Connor Brown, because I want the guy to be more of an offensive player. But I'm not saying that it shouldn't be Connor Brown. We've had this conversation before. I, I my my position is it can't be Formanton and Brown in your top six. Only one of them can be in your top six. I want five guys better than those two to be the other guys in my top six. Even though Formanton has eleven goals, yeah, I'm still not, I'm still not convinced. Sorry. Okay. Here's a quote <laughs> from Brown after he hit 200 points, and this is in Bruce's column this week. Bruce Garriock, uh, four years ago, I scored eight goals and didn't know where my career was heading. I got a fresh start here in Ottawa, and I've been grateful for that. I'm going to keep try and keep getting better and better. It feels good to get to 200, but it's over with, and I've got to keep pushing forward now. So. Join us next week for another episode of <laughs> Steve him. Loves Him, some Connor Brown, right? Also, yeah. one last thing on Connor Brown. I can remember the day of the trade, the day he was acquired. And I remember the the phone call interview on, on 1200 with him. Mm-hmm. And I came away from that call thinking, here's a guy who does not want to be here. He's not interested in coming to Ottawa. And he is he was really down. He, he, he was not feeling the way he just echoed there in that comment. He was not feeling that way at all the day the trade went down. And that, that for some reason, has stuck in my mind ever since. I don't know why, but I just I, I got that impression. Interesting. Thankfully, ancient history, though. Uh, we need to take a time out. And when we come back, we'll talk about Jake Sanderson. And looks like his Olympics might be over. That coming up after these words. 
Our title sponsor, of course, is Jim K. Ford, your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. Jim K. Ford removes all of the worries, ladies and gentlemen, with a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage. That's very cool if you're buying a pre-owned vehicle. You also get a vehicle history report, purchase financing rates from 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. That is peace of mind. So check out JimKFord.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans, and tell them the Sens Nation podcast sent you. The Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. A couple of other notes today. Uh, Jake Sanderson. Certainly not having much luck in the international hockey department in 2022. COVID, of course, ended the World Juniors for Jake Sanderson and for everybody else. Not the they basically they canceled the tournament. Uh, although they make, if I recall, did they not make some sort of announcement they might do it in the summertime now? Correct, August. But whether or right. not he would even play in it, who knows? Right. Then he gets an opportunity to play with the men in the Olympics. And COVID delayed him. He, this time he actually had to go through COVID protocol. He had COVID. And so he sat out, missed some action, and then finally got to Beijing to take on Canada and got injured in that game. He finished the game, but now the talk is, I was reading a couple of North Dakota writers who were saying something along the lines of, I'd be shocked if Sanderson is able to, if his Olympics are not over. And so unfortunate for Jake Sanderson, who I'm sure after the World Junior disappointment was really, really looking forward to vying for gold with Team USA. He'd certainly be eligible to get a gold medal still, but not a not as an active participant. Yeah, and, and on behalf of all the Senator fans listening, wouldn't weren't we all looking forward to watching him play yeah. and seeing him dominate? I was I was really looking forward to seeing how he would he would stack up and watching Owen Power lead the team Canada in minutes. I'm thinking, yeah, Jake Sanderson would have been doing just fine out there. Michael O'Byrne, formerly of uh, CTV Ottawa, put it out there on Twitter, copied a bunch of guys on whether if they had a choice between Owen Power and Jake Sanderson, who exactly would you take? Have you had enough looks at the two of them? Well, I, I think it comes down to what type of player you want, what type of defenseman you're looking for. It, it, you see, the problem is you it, it, there really wasn't an either-or. It's not like you sat at a draft table and had a choice between one or the other. You you didn't. They were different years, different draft classes, right? Um, Owen Power is a different player than than Jake Sanderson. Owen, Owen Power is a little bigger. Owen Power has probably got more offensive upside than Jake Sanderson. Um, you know, different shots. They play different styles. So, I don't know. Like, uh, no, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a question that's kind of moot. It's, it's too difficult to answer because you didn't really even have the choice. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you sat at a draft table and said, I'm taking Sanderson, not power. Right. I think you, um, you had Sanderson go fifth overall in what was a deeper draft than Owen powers draft year, a year later. They're very close in age though. They're not like a full year apart. They're very, yeah. you know, it's just a few months separating the two just because of the, age cut off of the NHL draft. I think I'd be prepared to go just for the fun of it to go with Sanderson, not just because the Sens drafted him just from the highlights I've watched. And from the brief looks I've had at them in games, I certainly like Owen power 
just because I'm choosing one over the other doesn't mean I don't want both of them. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. both fantastic. So it's, uh, I think JR put it, you know, it's like deciding between uh, which one of your kids you like best. But uh, I, I look at Sanderson, I, and the game is all skating now. I look at Sanderson, I say to myself, he just seems to have better feet. There seems to be more agility there and maybe a little more speed and, and just, just, just seems to do everything a little with a little more pace. Again, I love Owen Power. I love me some Owen Power. God against China. He made some unbelievable decisions with the puck. Like you think, okay, he's going to be dishing that off. No, he just a little toe drag through the neutral zone. Vit, vit, past the Chinese uh, uh, defender. And so he's amazing. But if I had to pick right now, I'd probably go for Sanderson just because I think his feet are better. Yeah, I, like I, I see your point, but I, I just, I go back to, they're not the same type of player. I uh, just, and you, and you just hit the nail on the head as to as to how they're not. Owen Power seems to be much more of a uh, control guy. But then if you watch Jake Sanderson, he can make those outlet passes and those decisions too. Um, you know, maybe Sanderson brings even more on that side of things, but Owen Power might be more of a, like, believe it or not, I think Sanderson might be more of an offensive guy in the end. In the big picture, Sanderson might be the guy that gets more points which would be interesting to see. And if that's the case, then I definitely want Sanderson, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you look at the two teams, they're both awesome, but I think that Michigan is a little more high-powered, potentially offensively, so there's a lot of variables in this. And again, I think both of them are awesome. So it's a, anyway, it's a fun discussion to have, um, and only time will tell what the right answer is there. Speaking of international hockey, Team Canada's men's team. Oh, by the way, shocker on the ladies' side. It's going to be Canada versus the U.S. <laughs> uh, that's going to be great, but it's almost like it was all much ado about nothing to this stage, and uh, now it's one for all the marbles. The You almost want them to play like a best of five, you know? Yeah. Just, the one Wouldn't game is just... Nice? Totally. And on the men's side, I don't know what that was that Canada's got on those red uniforms. What exactly is that on the front of their jerseys? Because it's sure as hell not a Maple Leaf I've ever seen before. <laughs> well, totally. there's been a there's been a bit of a a uniform uh I don't know what you what do you want to call it a controversy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um I put something out there that th- those black unis with the red numbers are disgusting. Like you can I, I don't care um about the logo when I'm looking at those, you can't even see the damn numbers. Like how is a poor play-by-play guy? You know, Chris Cuthbert made a joke in, the, in that last game saying, you know, "Please wear the whites." the next round where we'd be really happy if you choose to wear the whites um I, I just i have a problem with black period like there's nothing wrong with black but we're canada we are red and white i i truly believe that we are the only country in the entire tournament that has a color in our uniform that is not on our flag and i've got a problem with that it just what it red and white worked for the detroit red wings for 100 years why can't it work for canada like they should be wearing and even when they wear the red and white they're still wearing black pants why can't they wear red pants it's it's, it's better than the 87 Canada Cup. You remember Gretzky to Lemieux was in red, white, and blue. Like they were wearing blue pants. Their gloves were red, white, and blue. Um, Gretzky in the World Juniors wearing the, like the 76 Canada Cup with the Canada Cup trophy logo. Yep. Those jerseys, they were blue and white, Steve. Did you know that? They what? were white with blue. Go back and look at it. The Gretzky World Juniors were blue pants, white jersey, blue logo disgusting and here we are with the black again and the the black jerseys I, I just i'm sorry you don't need to have black in there as for the logo um you're not allowed to use the hockey canada logo it is a i, I was just th- sorry 
I, I was sorry to interrupt. I, I was just thinking they might use a maple leaf. Yeah, a maple leaf would be fine. He, <laughs> why can't we just go? One day I'd like to see him just wear the 72 unis. Now, here I go, sound like an old man again, but there was nothing wrong with those. You know, I just, yeah. I would like to see them. I understand that you can't use the hockey, the Hockey Canada logo, because that's a registered trademark. There's there's money involved there, and you just, they don't like things like that. Like you can't, the, the golfers can't wear a Titleist hat in the Olympics. There's right. none of that stuff allowed. So, okay, I get that. But come on, can't we, can't we wear a proper uh, maple leaf at least? Something that yeah. at least looks more like a maple leaf? To your point about uh, the lack of contrast on the numbers and such, um, to have black numbers on a red uniform or vice versa, it reminds me of a when I was coaching and we went down to the States to a well-scouted tournament, a lot of colleges and universities there, and uh, one of the scouts came up to me and said, hey, do you want us to scout your girls? Because we, we had these black jerseys with the red numbers on the back. Yep. And uh, he said, I, I can't tell one number from the other. You know, so while these look, they actually look kind of cool when they're two feet from your face, you know, you have to keep in mind the spectators and the people trying to yeah. watch this thing and figure out who the hell is who. Um, I, I would often submit that uh, some of these uniforms are designed by people who uh, maybe know fashion but don't know too much about the actual game of hockey the white american ones are just as bad have you have you seen those the white american ones you can't make out the numbers too well either because there's so many there's stripes going across when you've got big band stripes going across then you put a number on top of it the number the, the color of the number is one of the colors in the big band going across you can't make it out like it's just i don't know they don't they don't think about about announcers and fans wanting to identify players. They're more interested in sales, obviously, and what sells and what looks good on the rack, not what looks good on the ice when I'm 200 feet away up in the press box. All right. So the Montreal Canadiens have begun the same situation the Ottawa Senators found themselves in about four years ago, maybe five years ago, and that is the start of a rebuild. We all know the Canadiens, the Sens, uh, one of the Sens' top rivals in the Atlantic, They've already got a new president. They've already got a new general manager. Now they have a new head coach. And now, Greg, they've turned their attention to the roster. And today, as we record this on Valentine's Day, uh, the Habs have traded away Tyler Toffoli. They get a first rounder, a fifth rounder, a 2020 second rounder by the name of Emil Heineman. He was, uh, again, a second rounder in 2020. We got a bottom six winger and 30-year-old Tyler Pitlick, the nephew of former Sens defenseman Lance Pitlick. So what did you think of that deal when you heard it go down today? Well, I immediately started doing research on this uh, Heineman guy. Um, from what I can, he was not drafted by Calgary, by the way. I think it was, was it St. Louis or was it? Uh, Florida. Florida, Florida, you're right. It was Florida. Uh, Craig Button says he uh, he might turn out to be a third line winger mm-hmm. uh, actually compared him to uh, Coleman in Blake Coleman in, in uh, Calgary. And uh, then John Lou, the Hab guy on TSN said, he's a top six. He projects out to be a top six winger. So uh, really that's what it comes down to. What's this Heineman guy going to be? I mean, it's, it's no, it's not all that different from Mark Stone for Eric Brandstrom. It's really going to come down to what does Eric Branstrom turn out to be, and then or what does this uh, Heineman guy turn out to be? 
who knows? Like the first round draft pick is nice, but it's probably going to be, I would say, 15 or later. It's not exactly a high first round draft choice and it's it's protected. It's lottery protected at that. So it really it comes down to this Heineman kid. And until like let's you gotta wait three years and look back on it and see, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean a first rounder is nothing to ever, you know, scoff at, but uh right. you know, it's it's certainly I mean, nobody's expecting Calgary to be uh anything close to the bottom ten in the league. So they probably will draft and uh right now the Flames are first in the Pacific, third in the conference. So they could go a long way. Um, so a first rounder, I mean, really, if you're a Hab fan, you are cheering against the Calgary Flames for the rest of the way. Not to fall into the bottom 10, but if you can get a, a decent draft pick somewhere in there between 10 and 20, you're getting a good player. So it's not just Heineman, in my opinion. I think it'll end up being probably something pretty decent. But uh, if the Flames go a long way, I may I reserve the right to rescind that take. Meanwhile, Toffoli... That's a pretty good fit when you think about it, because not only is he reunited with his old Kings coach, Daryl Sutter, but he's also reunited with the old Ottawa connection. His former Ottawa 67 line mate, Sean Monaghan to Foley. When he was playing with Monaghan with Ottawa, he was scoring, he had two straight 50 goal seasons for the 67s. Remember, do you remember who the, and there's also a sense tie in here as well. Do you remember who oh. the third guy was on that line? Wow. He went on to be drafted by the Sens in the second round. Oh, oh, is it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I just can't think of his name. But yes, I know who it is. Shane Prince. Shane Prince. That's right. That was, that was the year of uh, Pumpel and, and Nason, right? And Prince was in the second round. Uh, who never uh, worked That out. sounds right. Yeah, I just, it, like, Toffoli's going to slide right in there on the second line to play with Monaghan. Because Monaghan's not playing with Goudreau anymore. Goudreau plays on on what is statistically, if not the best, one of the best number one lines in the league. Goudreau plays with Kachuk and uh, a Swede, I think, whose name is escaping me, but that's normal for me. Uh, so really, he's going to go right into the second line. And statistically, at five-on-five five numbers-wise, um, Calgary has the best third line in the league, like with Mangiapane and uh, Coleman and another, I think it's a Swede there as well, but I, again, somebody will know the right answer. So their third line, is the number one third line in the league, and their number one line is definitely in the top five. And now you're adding to Foley to your second line to play with Monahan. Like, look out! Uh, you know, teams like like uh, Vegas and Colorado need to start paying attention when it comes down to the Western Conference playoffs. Right. Let's fill in some gaps here. The Swede you were looking for, Elias Lindholm. Yeah, that's him. And who's the guy that plays with Coleman and Mangiapane? That would be Backlund. So we've done it. We filled in the gaps. Anyway, um, it's going to be a good fit, I think, for Tyler Toffoli. And for sure. Can you imagine the uh, the new lease on his life? Dead last by a long shot with the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> and everybody just in a bad mood in Montreal right now. And now you suddenly roll into another Canadian market, and uh, as I mentioned, this is a first-place team in their division, third place in the conference, and the stats look good across the board. Daryl Sutter has turned that team around. And he was quoted as saying today, I, I saw a little little clip of uh, Toffoli today saying, I pretty much know everybody on that team and the guys I don't know have all reached out to me via via text message. He was nice. just with uh, Milan Lucic last week. They were teammates, of course, in L.A. under Sutter. Lucic was in Toffoli's wedding. Um, so he knows a lot of guys there. And like he said, the guys I don't know have reached out to me. Like, I'm sure Calgary's pretty excited to get a guy like that with the hands that he has. Yeah. There's big news in Vegas from two perspectives. 
One superstar in, another out. Former Ottawa Senator Mark Stone now heading to long-term injured reserve with a back injury. When you got a $9 million player who has so much term left, you don't like to hear the words back injury, do you? Mm-mm. That's that's a problem. That's you know he's been out for a while, but I, I wonder how much of this is is the school of Lula Morello hiding salary so that we can get somebody into our lineup because they've yet to make a trade to uh, to free up. They need to free up somewhere between five and ten million. You've already got Martinez out and and Stone now is out. With those two out, that's good. You can bring in Eichel's salary. But it, it, as soon as Stone or Martinez is healthy and ready to come back, somebody's going to have to go. So it'll be interesting to keep keep an eye on that and see what ends up happening there. Yeah. Jack Eichel in, so uh, Mark Stone is out. And right now, the, the Knights are saying that uh, the team's medical staff and the numerous specialists they've met with have not been able to determine exactly yeah. what's causing Mark Stone's injury right now, and they don't have a concrete timeline for his return. And ironically enough, Greg, Mark Stone is demanding to use his own surgeon for anything that might be going wrong with his back right now, and they want him to see their team doctor. It's a whole big mess. Irony, I tell you. Irony. I'm just messing around, of course, with the Jack Eichel situation uh, in Buffalo. But it is. Go- what are you expecting out of Jack Eichel? Is he going to get in there right away and rip it up, or will it take some time? Oh, it's going to take time. I mean, it, it, it has to take time. It's it's a shame for him, really, because he was supposed to slide right in with Pacioretty and Stone. So that's out. Uh, but he's a high-end, like, top 10 talent in this league. He is going to be something, and he's going to put up some numbers there. I don't expect it to happen right away, but that's the nice part here. He comes in. There's not a lot of pressure. They're, they're probably going to make the playoffs there in Vegas. So let's get comfortable. Let's figure out who plays with who and make things work. And then down the stretch around the trade deadline, we don't need to make a trade to bring somebody in because we're going to bring in Alec Martinez and Mark Stone. Happy birthday to Yarmir Yager as we turn our attention to other subjects. He turns 50 on Tuesday, February the 15th. It is remarkable when you think back how long it's been, like back to the, what, the early 90s when the the Penguins are winning back-to-back cups with Mario Lemieux, and he's got the worst hair in the history of the NHL, and that includes the 1970s. Um, it's hard to believe that guy is still playing pro hockey, playing for the team he owns in the Czech Republic. It's pretty impressive. Hey, of course, of course, he admits himself that he's really only playing because he has to. He can't afford not to. Uh, did you see the clip on with Gretzky the other day? No. Yeah, that basically that the Gretzky said, I don't even know why. I, I don't understand why the hell you're still playing. And and for uh, I don't know how many times now he came up with the same answer. He said, well, I, I kind of have to can't afford not to. So he's kind of forced to play. Uh, it, but it's, uh, it's something I love. Have you ever seen the traveling Yagers? I have. Yeah. They're funny. Oh, those guys are hilarious. Yeah. Of course they, they had to keep growing the group every time the guy went, went and signed somewhere else. But, uh, he's, uh, he's a specimen. I don't know that he could still play in the NHL. Uh, he's not, he's not exactly fleet of foot, but, uh, he certainly ended up being the class of that draft and that 90 draft was something right. That was, uh, Owen Nolan went first. I want to say Nedved, Primo, Ricci, and Yager. I think that was your top five. Um, and and wow, he certainly ended up being the best player out of that draft, didn't he, by a long shot? No doubt. And when, that was the final game for Wayne Gretzky, the Rangers taking on the Penguins. And in the handshake line, he said to Yager, you know, kind of, it's your turn now, you know, kind of pass the torch to you. Because at that moment, Yager was still a superstar. But you know what? And those... Uh, 
that once the turn of the century hits, Yager didn't really dominate the the decade the way I would have thought. And uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, certainly uh, a neat moment for sure. And uh, that the fact that Yager is still playing at 50 is amazing. And to close it out, I don't know if you had a chance to see this on the weekend. Just randomly, Sportsnet 1 aired Game 5 of the Senators-Sabres Eastern Conference Final from 2007. That was the one where Daniel Offertson scored in overtime to send Ottawa to its first and only Cup Final in their modern history anyway. Do you remember where you were when you watched that game? Uh, You know what? I remember that when the goal was scored, I was in my car listening to it on the radio. I heard Dean and Gord. Where I was before that, like I, I know I was watching it at some point, but for some reason, when the goal was scored, I was out in my vehicle. That's that's I remember that. And right. I have seen the game on Rogers. You and I were talking before we flipped the switch here today, whether that game's in HD and what the quality of the broadcast is. I can't remember. I remember watching it uh, not long ago on the on the Rogers where they where they play those games. But this time I didn't see it. So I don't uh, I got to pay attention and see. No doubt it'll be on again within the next week. I'd be interested in I should pick it up and record it and see what kind of quality the, the footage is. Yeah, everything I saw on YouTube, I've, I've 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 kept an eye out for it, but everything on YouTube is long a long way from being high definition. That would have been right around the time I think that HD was coming in. I didn't see it live, believe it or not, but I did see it about I don't know three minutes after it happened, near the end of the second period. I wanted to look back at something and I rewound. I never caught up again, so I went back in time <laughs> three minutes, and meanwhile, it's overtime. And for some reason, I'm hearing all this loud cheering outside on my <laughs> Barhaven street. I'm like, what is going on? Why is everybody freaking out out there? And I realized, oh, God, I forgot to actually get it back up to live. So um, I, I, watch I didn't see it that way. I watch every hockey game. I, I start about a half an hour, 45 minutes after the game has started so I can go through the commercials. Yeah, I, I do too, but I usually get up to get up to speed when we're actually in live action. And uh, that was just weird. Yeah. I found interference in the NHL rulebook. Okay, hit me. A minor penalty shall be imposed on a player who interferes with or impedes the progress of an opponent who is not in possession of the puck. So your next question becomes, well, what is the definition for possession of the puck? Okay. The last player to touch the puck, other than the goalkeeper, shall be considered the player in possession. The player deemed in possession of the puck may be checked legally, providing the check is rendered immediately following his loss of possession. Right. Very great. So, yeah. Immediately following. How, how fast is immediately? Yeah, they should put, I mean, if when they're making assessments like they did in Austin Watson, yeah. they should actually count it off. Okay, puck leaves the stick now. And then if a second, whatever, whatever unit of time you want to uh, apply to this. Yeah. If a second goes away and, okay, Watson hit him a second and a half after the puck left. Okay, that's automatic interference now. Well, in but George the- Perro's official announcement, the press release, whatever you want to call it, from Dops, they said that he did not even uh, attempt the check or ready himself to deliver the check until after the puck was gone. I find that hard to believe. Hmm. If I'm skating hard into the corner to hit somebody – I, I'm intending to hit him pretty much from the second I take my first stride in his direction. So right. they, they, I, I do recall that part being in George Perro's announcement that he had not uh, readied himself to attempt to check the player until after the puck was gone. So yeah, read into it what you will. 
Yep. I think it comes down to, could you fairly have stopped or let up or swooped or whatever it is? Did you, did that player see the puck leave and then just say, eh, I've been taught since I was five years old to finish my checks. And what that means is even though the puck is gone, you have an opportunity to hit that guy and intimidate that guy. So the next time he'll be nervous playing the puck. Um, So you go ahead and do that. So that's, uh, that's how it's always been. I would like to see some sort of unit of time applied to this thing, just so everybody knows, just as a rough idea of what's cool and what's not, because this seems to vary from one referee to the next. With that, we'll take our leave. Just a reminder, our website is sensnationhockey.com. Lots of cool stuff, as Greg mentioned earlier. Got some great writers uh, bringing up some great stuff and uh, worth a read. Yeah, so check it all out, sensnationhockey.com. Congratulations on the new gig, Greg, and uh, we'll look Thank forward you. to talking in our next episode. For sure, Steve. Have a good week. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at sensnationhockey.com.